Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. As we've been going through this letter of the, to the Galatians, I've realized that I have been approaching it kind of like it's an email. I'm just looking for the information. I want to find out what it has to teach me, what I can learn from it, and that's about it. It's hard to remember that this letter was written by Paul, who was a real person, writing to his friends, people who he spent some of his life with in the region of Galatia. And this morning in our passage, he gets down to a little bit more of that relational aspect. He gets somewhat emotional in the way that he speaks to the people at the churches of Galatia. And I know some of you don't like emotional conversations, and you might be tempted to tune out, but I want to encourage you not to. In fact, I want you to ask yourself this question to help you engage this morning. Which makes you feel better, earning something or receiving something? Let's listen to the reading of God's Word. A reading from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 31. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for those whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, we thank you that you speak to us through these words of Paul this morning, written hundreds of years ago. And we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to help us believe 
these words and be changed by them. We thank you that what you reveal to us is that your work on our behalf means that we can live freely. I pray that you would help us to do that. We can't do that without you. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. A couple of years ago, I realized that my propane grill was not cooking very evenly. There were hot spots next to cold spots, and so a steak on the grill would get real tough on one side but be raw on the other side. And as I thought about it, I figured out I hadn't cleaned it in a while. And so I took the grill grates off and I put them on some newspaper, sprayed them with some grill cleaner, pulled out the drip pan and cleaned it out and sprayed it with some grill cleaner. And as I looked into the empty grill, I saw that the burners, these long metal tubes that had propane that shoot down it with little holes in the side for individual flames to come out, had actually gotten really gross as well. So I undid the little screws, pulled those out, and followed the same procedure, sprayed them down with grill cleaner, but they were so gross that it didn't get them clean. So I did it again and actually left them to sit out in the sun to bake a little bit and scrubbed it off, and it was still pretty... Uh, gummed up, basically. And so I got a hose and put a pressure nozzle on it and tried to spray some of it away. It worked a little bit, but I ended up having to get some steel wool and scrub away all of the, the grime and the burnt food that was on top of it. And what happened was I began to see that underneath all the charred bits of food, there wasn't anything left of the metal. The burners had just uh, corroded all the way through. And so instead of little holes all the way down the side of the burner, there was just a giant opening. So jets of flame would shoot out as soon as I started up the grill, burning anything I put on it. So I had to replace those two. But Paul uses a lot of words here in this passage to convey something similar to the people of Galatia. He says, no matter what you're relying on to make yourself feel good or right, no matter what you look to to make your world work or to hold your life together, if it's not Jesus, it's just hollow underneath. It might be years of callous response built up over time. It might be a, a quick wit or a great understanding of your environment, or maybe it's a nice, clean, religious exterior. Underneath, Paul says, it's empty. Paganism, moralism, secularism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, agnosticism, even atheism. It might bring some structure to your life. It might even seem to help you get through today and tomorrow. But they're all the same to Paul because all of those things place responsibility and reliance solely on the self. And therefore, they demand work and effort from you. In fact, they enslave you. On the other hand, Paul says, walking in Jesus sets you free by binding you not to your own abilities or your own effort, but to the finished work of Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died unjustly for us. Paul says these things uh, with emotion. He's, he's exasperated, to be honest. And it's not because the Galatians have done something to hurt him, but because the way that they are acting is so foolish. You can hear this in the way Paul writes, verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. 
You see, the contrast between these two ways to live is so obvious to Paul, so stark in his mind. He says you can't believe in Jesus and then just pick a nice path of life to help yourself feel better. If you want to live freely, there's only one way, and it's following the narrow path of Jesus. It's not something that you do. It's what God has done for you and is growing in you. Those are our three points this morning. It's not something you do. It's what God has done and is growing in you. We're going to start by saying it's not something you do. Now, just in case that you are joining us for the first time, Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians in the region of Galatia because some teachers have shown up in their churches and have been trying to convince them that following Jesus looks like believing in his death and resurrection and shaping your life around the Jewish ceremonial laws, things like circumcision and obeying the food purity laws. Paul spent three chapters already arguing that that is not true. And here, he goes a step further. Paul connects adhering to the moral code of Judaism to the paganism that the Galatians had come from in the first place. You see, when Paul showed up in Galatia and began to preach the gospel of Jesus, the people who heard him and be believed in his message, they weren't Jews. They weren't people worshiping Yahweh. They had no idea probably who Yahweh was. They were worshiping idols if they were worshiping anybody at all because they were Gentiles. They were Greeks. Paul says in verses 8 through 10, when you were pagans, when you were worshiping idols, those non-gods as he calls them, you were a slave to the elementary principles. Now, you might remember Bob spoke last week about the elementary principles, and those are the things that we look to as humans in order to bring ourselves some kind of comfort, some kind of security. Maybe it's status, it's strength, it's health, it's moral purity, whatever it might be, right? Paul says to the Galatians, when you were pagans, you were slaves to those things. You had to work hard in order to obtain them, in order to feel good about yourselves. And now, he says, you want to go and follow the laws of Judaism, and you will become slaves again to the same elementary principles. Did you see what Paul just did there? He just divided all of humanity into two groups. Now, if you're like me, you're hearing a sermon from a Christian church, you're probably a step ahead and you're saying, I get it, Stephen, right? There are Christians and there are not Christians. That's the dividing line that Paul makes. Or maybe there are good people and there are bad people. Or maybe you're a little bit smarter and you're saying to yourself, well, there are good people, but they believe in God. And there are some good people too in this category, but they don't believe in God, something like that. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's line of division is between those who achieve their identity and status and those who receive it. That's it. Let me say that again because it's really important. There are those who achieve their own identity and status and those who receive it. Now, let's be clear. All of us, by nature, are achievers when it comes to to this, right? In this regard, we're achievers. We're all born to work in order to make ourselves feel better. It's who we are at our core. And it's part of being a sinner. This goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve could have obeyed God's word. 
They could have listened and they could have received their comfort and their identity and their security day in and day out. But instead, they listened to the words of doubt whispered by Satan, and they felt the need to achieve, to do something in order to secure themselves. You and I, we're no different. We look for stuff to do in order to secure ourselves, to obtain comfort and status and peace and identity. Wait a minute, you might be saying to yourself, not me, like, I'm glad you're preaching to people who don't believe in Jesus, but I'm a Christian and I would never do something like that. It's exactly Paul's point. Paul's point is that we are so bent on achievement that we can even turn following Jesus into an achievement process. This past week, I had the opportunity to perform a wedding for a couple in our church. And when I showed up a couple hours before the ceremony, one of the groomsmen pointed to me and he said, oh, you're the preacher. I got a question for you. That's not abnormal. It actually happens a lot at weddings. And what started as a question about my approach to premarital counseling became a long conversation about the validity of Christianity and the Bible and comparing it to other religions, things like that. And at one point, this groomsman said, I kind of see how what you're saying all fits together, but I don't know if I just want to jump into it all right now. And I asked, well, if you don't mind me asking, what's holding you back? What are you worried about? And his response was the exact same response that I get from people who are hesitant to just become a Christian or follow the rules or whatever they're thinking. He said, I'm not sure that I want to have my life, I want to live my life following this set of Christian rules if I only kind of believe in it. So I looked at him with a smirk on my face and now looking back, realizing I had a mask on, so he had no idea that I had a smirk on my face, I said, it's not about the rules, right? Following Jesus isn't about doing all the right things to make God happy. And he was surprised because he, like all of us, are bent on achieving, doing what is right in order to feel good about ourselves. But that's not the point of my illustration. The point is, after the ceremony, after the reception, when I went home and I was telling my girls all about the beautiful ceremony and I was putting them to bed, and they were refusing to go to bed, and I got frustrated and angry with them. My first thought was, I need to do better. God wants me to be a more patient father. I need to work harder at that. That's not wrong. It's not bad. The problem is, it is an achievement narrative. I could articulate it clearly to this groomsman at the wedding, But the reality is, I myself, all of us, are bent on achieving. I want you to stop whatever you're doing right now. And I want you to think about this. What is it that makes you feel better than other people? What is it that you take pride in that makes you feel superior to others? Is it being right? Is it having a mastery over your area of expertise, whatever it is? Is it how much people need you as compared to someone else in your company or your spouse or someone else in your house? Is it your kids, how they behave and what they do, or better yet, what they don't do? What is that thing that you take pride in that enables you to feel superior to other people? 
Paul says to all of us, when you rely upon that, when we depend upon that for our significance and our status and our identity, it feels good, it feels safe, but it's hollow underneath and it leads us into slavery. Working hard to gain control over your life, working hard to make sure that your kids are able to get into certain schools and have certain opportunities, working hard to be the best in your career field, observing days and weeks and months and years, as Paul says, alluding to obeying the Jewish laws. All of it, it leads to slavery because all of them lead us away from God and into self-reliance. Paul says it's, it's not about what you do. It's not something you do. It's what God has done. It's not about something you do. It's about what God has done. Paul tells the Galatians, you were enslaved to achievement. Are you wanting to go back to being a slave to achievement as people following the Jewish laws? He says, you were slaves. You're walking yourself back into slavery. What's in the middle there? That's receiving. The Galatians had come to a place where they not only believed in, but they were living in joyous receipt of God's work for them. Paul says this in verse 9. He says it's called knowing God, or rather being known by God. He has both of those phrases there, and that's important. It's not because one is right and one is wrong. He misspoke at first, and so he's correcting himself. It's because it communicates a two-way intimate relationship, right? Not just knowledge. If you stopped at knowing God, you might think, okay, I need to study the Bible more. I need to go and read more theology books. I should go to seminary and get a degree because it's all about knowing God. But the truth is you can do all of that and not actually know Him. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He says, when you receive your status and your identity and security from God, it comes in the form of a relationship. God builds a relationship with you. God knows you and you know God, and that changes everything. Well, the false teachers that were going through Galatia would say, yes, that's correct. A relationship with God is so important. It's incredibly valuable. But let's remember how God's relationship with humanity started. It started with our forefather, Abraham. And if you remember, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And these false teachers would say the relationship between God and his people passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Isaac's son, and to Joseph, right? The heads, the forefathers, the patriarchs of the Jewish people. That story is all about your family of origin, these false teachers would say. You should know your lineage, and you should join the family. That's one of the arguments that they would make. But how, are we, how do we know that? Paul actually jumps into that argument and combats it in the next section, so look at me if you with you look with me if you will at verse 21 Paul says tell me you who desire to be under the law Paul uses it here talking about the Jewish moral codes do you not listen to the law which is another way to talk about the first books of the Bible for it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman he's using their own argument now but he goes a step further verse 23 but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. 
Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit as the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul says a lot here. And to be honest, it's incredibly technical. We're not going to have a lot of time. We can't get into all of it here. But I want you to listen to the podcast that we're going to record later this week because I would like to cover a lot of what's in here. And if you have a question about this passage, you can submit it by clicking on the podcast link at the, in the description of the video. Let me summarize this argument briefly for us. Paul extends his dividing line of achieve and receive, and he sets up two columns for us. The top of one is the word slave, and the top of the other column is the word free. Now, in each of those columns, Paul puts different people, different entities, different ideas, right? So in the slavery column, according to Paul, there is Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, where God gave his law to the Jewish people, and the present Jerusalem, which is Paul's way of saying people following the Jewish moral codes. What do all those things have in common besides the fact that they're in the slavery column? Self-reliance, achievement, they all lead to slavery because they are all based in self-ability and reliance. Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Sarah trying to achieve God's blessing by using Hagar the slave. Well, then there's this other column here. The top of that column says free. In it, Paul puts Sarah and Isaac, the Jerusalem that is above, the Galatians, and us. What do we all have in common? Promise. The only way that Sarah could have her child was because God promised her it would happen, and he fulfilled it by giving her a son, Isaac. The only way that you and I or the Christians in Galatia are welcome into the Jerusalem that is above, which is Paul's way of saying living a life that you were created to live with a restored relationship with God, the only way any of us have access to that is through God's promise. And he has fulfilled it by giving us his son, Jesus. God has promised freedom and security and peace and rest to those who receive his son. Specifically, receive his death and resurrection as a sacrifice on our behalf. A home, a family, identity, and status, all given to you because of what Jesus has done for you. All you have to do is receive it. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or bless you more, but there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less or withhold blessing from you. 
That's really easy to say, but it's incredibly hard to live because achievement feels so much more rewarding, doesn't it? We don't receive all of these promises of God immediately. We receive it little by little, right? The way is narrow. And that's why it's important for us to see what Paul is saying here, the fact that God has done it and He is growing it in us. It's our last point. It's not something you do. It's what God has done and is growing in you. This is what Paul is longing for in the life of the Galatian Christians. What he is frustrated by and perplexed by has caused him great anguish. These free Christians are wanting to return to living like slaves. It reminds me of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after God had freed them from slavery in Egypt, and they're complaining and crying out, asking that God would allow them to return to Egypt to live as slaves. Paul realizes the reason that these Galatian Christians are behaving this way is because, verse 19, Christ is being grown in us. Right? Paul is speaking here of the doctrine of sanctification. When you believe in Jesus, you are declared righteous in God's sight and given the status as a son and an heir of the king because of what Jesus has done for you. And at the same time, God begins a process in each of us working to grow us into sons and heirs, ready to take on what he has prepared for us, right? Sanding off the rough corners is a good analogy, or refining away the impurities, enabling us more and more to choose not to sin and choose to live like Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at. That's what it means to be grown in Jesus. But what does it really look like? Thankfully, Paul actually has an example here in this passage for us. Verse 13, Paul says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. This is where Paul gets really personal with the Galatians. He reminds them of their meet-cute. You know what a meet-cute is? It's when, in a romantic comedy, where the, the two main characters bump into each other in the market and start their love story. Except here, it wasn't so cute. Paul says it was actually a pretty rough encounter. Something had gone wrong with Paul's body. There's a lot of debate over what it was, but it was very clear to people that he was not well. And because he wasn't well, he had to stop in Galatia, and wherever he stopped, he proclaimed the gospel. And to be honest, a bunch of pagans should never listen to a person who has a bodily ailment proclaiming life advice, right? Pagans would look at that and say, you obviously don't have anything together. The gods don't favor you in any way. Look at your body. Why would we listen to you? Paul says, that's not how you treated me. You chose instead to listen, to care for me. You received me as if I were an angel of God or Christ Jesus himself. 
You were even willing to gouge out your eyes, which is like the first century equivalent of saying, I'm going to give you the shirt off my back. Just a little more graphic. What Paul is saying here is, Galatians, when I was there the first time, you should have ignored me. You should have passed me by, mocked me even, and left me to suffer, and yet you didn't. Why not? Because you received the gospel of Jesus and His work for you on your behalf, and you were set free from your slavery to those elementary principles, strength, status, health, knowledge. For us, it might be a degree or gender or citizenship. Paul says, you were able to let it all go. You were able to look past all of it, and you saw in me what God has put in me. This rounds out Paul's argument against the Jewish teachers. Paul says, if you are free and you're not a slave, then you accept everyone just as they are, whether or not they follow the Jewish laws, as if they were an angel of God or Jesus himself. So let's go back. What was that thing that you thought of earlier, that thing that you're proud of, that enables you to sometimes look down on other people, to make yourself feel better than them? What Paul is saying here is, those are elementary principles. If you've been set free by the gospel of Jesus, you will begin to engage with those other people that you've looked down upon before, that you've thought were second-class citizens before because they didn't do things like you did. You're going to engage with them as if they were an angel of God or Jesus himself. This is an area where we all need to be grown by God. We need Jesus to grow in us in order for us to love and accept and engage with others as if they were an angel of God. It's a hard thing to do, particularly when the world is closing in around us, when it seems like we have to protect ourselves, when it seems like almost everybody out there is trying to get at something we love or someone we love. When the world closes in, when things get hard, we feel the need to stiffen up, to get protective, to push other people away and see them as enemies. But what God says here, what Paul says here, is that as God grows in you, it begins to change the way you react with other people. In our backyard, we have this giant cactus and in one of our flower beds over in the corner. And when we first moved into the house, we were concerned that one of our girls or one of their friends was going to fall in it and get hurt. And so I spent a year trying to kill this thing. Uh, the first thing I did was cut off a bunch of the branches, and uh, it survived somehow. So then I, I made a super-saturated saltwater solution, poured it on there, trying to kill it. It shriveled up for a little bit, but then it came back. I got really frustrated that all, you know, I couldn't kill this plant. It was just a plant. It was making me so frustrated. I began to just dump stuff on it, like dirty mop water, uh, bacon grease. I even bought like plant killer and poured it on this cactus. And each time it would shrivel a little bit, but then it would come back. And I finally just gave up and was so frustrated, I decided it's just there. It's part of the backyard. I'm going to have to pay more attention to the girls, make sure they don't fall in the cactus until they're old enough to pay attention to it themselves. And you know what? Over the last three years, every spring, that cactus produces the most beautiful 
and the biggest flowers in our backyard. They're amazing. They are so beautiful. I'm going to post a picture of it on Facebook later in our Facebook page so you can see what it looks like. But that's because inside that cactus, no matter what I did to it on the outside, the life of the cactus was still there. And it was still able to grow and to blossom with these beautiful, beautiful flowers. Paul says that if you rely on your own achievement to give you security or peace, to make sense of your world, it might seem like you're building a structure you can rely on, something that seems safe on the outside. But like the burners in my grill, it's just hollow underneath. But if you receive your security and your identity through Jesus' death and resurrection for you, it doesn't matter what comes at you from the outside. It doesn't matter how you fail. It doesn't matter what achievement you run to over and over again. That new life that is in you, God will grow in you and work its way out to produce a beautiful life, more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we need so much, and you tell us you have done all of it for us, that Jesus willingly lived a life of perfect obedience and died a sacrificial death on the cross for us, the death that we deserved, so that we might have new life And not only have new life, but that you would grow new life in us. We pray that you would give us the strength to be able to see others as you see them. Help us to love others, not based on what they've done or who they are or what they can get to us, but based on the fact that they are made in your image. We pray that you would help us to love as we have been loved. We pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.